Without further ado, um, over when I first came two and a half years ago now, very, almost the very first meeting, I met the man that was introduced to me as Dr. John. Um, but I, like I often do with people with his background, I said, what's your real name? <laughs> and uh, to me, he's become a dear friend. His name is Uman to me, and uh, that's how I refer to him, and his wonderful wife, Margarita. And they've really become friends, and it's just been good to see God at work behind the scenes. And I've just been waiting for an opportunity for them to share something of what God's been doing in them, but also just to encourage us, strengthen us, and build us. Amen? So, um, uh, Marguerite is going to speak first. Come on. Let's welcome her. Um, <clears throat> is it on? Let's just check. Yeah. Yes. This is a family joke. John Uman is holding the stopwatch, so that, yes. that's, that's not good. No. He's, um, yes, he needs to. <laughs> he needs to. He's going to read a, a scripture for, for Marguerite as well. Oh, and she's going to do it. Excellent. Okay. But let me just pray. Father, I just want to thank you. <clears throat> as we said at the start, you... You bring us into the family of God. We thank you for the wonderful, glorious variety and diversity of that family. And uh, Lord, we, we just recognize, we thank you that you're at work in our lives all the time. You're changing us, growing us, shaping us. And I just want to thank you for this couple. I want to thank you for all that you've been doing in them and with them in recent months and the last 18 months or so particularly. And just pray you bless them today, equip them, give them peace from you in Jesus' name. Amen. So good morning everyone, especially the visitors. Uh, It's a real privilege for me to have this opportunity to speak here and I feel very excited about it. Um, So I thought I'll start by introducing myself. Uh, I know some of you, but not all of you. So my name is Margarita and I'm Bulgarian. Uh, I grew up in uh, communist Bulgaria. Um, And the first 10 years of my life, um, it was the end of the communist regime, um, a time when there was, churches were really distant and far away in my own family, um, on my mother's side, my my grandfather was a professor of Marxism, so uh, what I mean by that is um, he was a real atheist, and so on the side of my, my mother's side, the strong atheist, completely uh, eloquent and uh, Darwinist and, and so on. And then on my father's side, there was, you know, there was some idea about God, but truly, you know, very uh, scientific and so on. So as a teenager, I, um, I was chatty, eloquent and saying it's a complete waste of time. Religion just divides people and so on. So the journey for me... Uh, my faith journey began uh, when I met m- my, my future husband, John, and, and he was the first one to put out there the idea that I could be God. And, and, and I really wrestled with the idea, and I thought a lot about it and so on. But what happened is the Spirit started ministering to me. And unfortunately, I don't have the time to give you all the journey, but really I started having personal coaching from the Spirit appearing to me, not in church, without meeting people, and just giving me thoughts, giving me images, giving me visions in my dream, giving me, you know, just just conv- convicting me to a point where, you know, I was doing my final exam in medical school, I remember, and I had done really well on the previous, it was the last one, and that night I prepared and prepared and prepared, and I was on my knees, it was after midnight, and 
really at that very moment, um, I felt the Spirit coming upon me and challenging me, saying, you know, I was, pre- I was actually praying for a good mark because I had had an excellent mark on all of the other exams. I wanted to finish well. So that was my agenda. But, you know, out of the blue came that idea in my head is that, yes, you can have that. That's, that's really little what you're asking for, but from tomorrow onwards you will have real responsibility with real people and then mistakes will be important. So that really, really was a powerful encounter for me. And I will forward, basically my, my fate has been ticking along, I've been making small, small steps in my fate and through the spirit, discovering, you know, um, discovering the word and hearing more from my husband and from the, his family and so on. But something significant happened last year when... We've, we went to rural India, to a very remote and poor area of India, where there's the highest children's mortality. We had an opportunity to visit um, a hospital there, spend the week, um, stay in an orphanage, and really be stirred up, you know, be stirred up, encounter the spirit. It, it felt as if something big is about to happen. And since then... We have been, you know, Mark has been meeting with us and speaking to us. We've been praying in church and, and, and be participating in more uh, meetings and so on. And, and really, really, I have felt, and so has John, I think, has felt stirred up by the Spirit. So I want to forward further and say that Mark invited us to go to Marathon. And to be honest with you, I felt, goodness me... I don't understand why us, you know, we're not that proactive in church. We have been spectators and, you know, why us, you know, are we the right people? This is an opportunity. So for those that don't know, Marathon was a very big regions beyond meeting, international, um, where, you know, I think future people who are in leadership normally and, 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 and how to put it, Mark, I do not know, but a big meeting with uh, a lot of prayer and so on. And, and truly, I, I would just say that it turned out to be an incredible experience. But on the way there, um, what I have a habit of doing, especially in the last 12 months, 18 months, um, and, and on my phone I use different plans and I read and, and I'll just be led by the Spirit in discovering things. So on exactly the same note um, on the flight, I came across the parable of the talents and that's really where I want us to focus. I think, you know what I've understood in the last one year, one thing that's happened to me is I've had this absolute fascination about hearing God. Okay, so I've really, I really read a lot about it. I heard lots of podcasts about it. And I've thought, my goodness, it's, it's not just prayer one way, but how do we hear from God and translate it and make it understandable? So, and one thing I have learned is that when we're reading pieces of the Bible, the Spirit will focus us on one or two bits, which might not be what somebody else hears. So I think that today I would... I would like to show you what I was focused on because I think it's powerful. Okay, so if, if Ashley is kind enough to read the, the, um, the parable. That's Matthew twenty-five fourteen. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two to another one, 
to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also uh, and he also who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." So, we've heard this parable many times, haven't we? Interestingly, in Marathon, that parable came, um, came, we came across it a few times, which I felt was meaningful. But I'll tell, I'll tell you what, first, when I have read it before, I've always said, oh my goodness, that's a bit strange. After all, the third man didn't do anything wrong. He, all he did is he kept whatever was given to him safely. So that's a human way of looking at that. But what I wanted to focus us on, and if we can go on the next slide, John, please, is the focus for me when I read it on the plane was on the word ability. So God gave to these servants, no, the master gave to the servants according to their own ability, isn't it? So the word ability in the original word, the Greek word is a word dunamis, which is used across the New Testament 120 times. And it means power. It means supernatural, miraculous, marvelous power. So try and, try and think about this sentence. It was given to the servants according to their own power, miraculous power. So another thing that's important is that power, so the word dunamis refers to a power that is not earned or power that is not developed or grown over time. It's power that is just a factual. It is there. It's given. Now, interestingly, the word dunamis is used when describing God's power as well. So, reflecting back, I think the message for us here is that we've all been entrusted 
with some power, with a powerful gift. So if you read superficially the parable, you will think, oh, it's about our money, our time, our efforts that we should give and invest. The reality is we have got some special talents inside us. We have got special spiritual talents in us. And it's interesting, I, I, I actually did last week an inventory from, done by another church, 120 words, um, 120 questions, questionnaire survey inventory about gifts, what sort of gifts. What that made me think is that it's really difficult for us to know what are our talents, what are our gifts. Moving on. Another, another thing that really struck me is that, listen, so, so the master gave them all his wealth. It was a significant amount. If we look at the word talent, it means it's been translated not just like money, it's been translated as pieces of gold. So we're talking significant amount here. So he really entrusted in them everything he had. Now, he did not tell them, Go and do this with them. I expect you to invest it. I expect you, expect you to do this with it. So why the first and the second man went out of their way and took a risk? Why did they... Was it not... For, some of us people will think that's, that's, quite, that's maybe an irresponsible thing to do. We, you know, if somebody lends us money, we don't go and do something with it. But that's a human way of thinking. So what we are in reflection, um, I think that the first and the second servants knew their master really well. They knew what the master would expect from them. Let me tell you, I was working with people, and you know, I've, we've, we have in our home, we've got an incredible um, lady who, who has been helping us raise her children. She's a nanny. And why am I bringing that example is because very often... We trust her so much with the, with the biggest wealth of children. We don't tell her, do this or do that. Often she would have done it before we even expected. So we're talking about that amount of familiarity that the servants had with their master. So this is what the difference between the first, the second, and the third is. Now, going back to the word dunamis, which, which I think is really significant. It strikes me as an important word. And I quote it here, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the people of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power. It's again the word dynamis in great glory. So it's not only, okay, we've got the gift. It's entrusted in us, but we are expected to invest it. So let's think about this investing element, okay? So they not only took a risk, went out with the gold, but they, they also made profit. A word we don't like in a, in a, on a Christian context. We don't like that word profit. The reality is they had 100% profit, the first and the second had 100% profit. And, and their master delighted in them. He did not delight, he was not happy with a man who actually kept his gifting safe. So it's about the responsibility. I want to talk to you today about the responsibility that we have in order for this power to really become obvious, to come to fruition, to produce. Okay? We need to, we are expected to take a risk. Now, 
us Christians often will think, oh, we will pray, God will, God will show us how to do it. Let me tell you, God gives what I've understood. God gives a vision of where he wants us to be. He doesn't project manage it for us. A lot of us think that God will project manage you, say this step and the other step and the third step. The reality is God really wants us to be the project managers. He wants us to invest and he wants us to make a profit. So the challenge, the challenge for all of us is that we need to be asking God to show us what is our, what is our gifting. But we need to be prepared to take responsibility and invest it. So, to recap from the parable, I think we, the, the message for me was that my goodness is great news. We all have special power. We all have special gifting. It's just different. And it's not more in one and more in another. And often many of us will have a variety of gifting. But the challenge is for us to really take responsibility. So I want to move us on to think about and talk about how, what's necessary. You know, I've had, I've traveled quite a lot this year, gone to incredible places. One of them was Armenia, um, a, pl- a place where there's a lot of faith and a lot of Christian history. And when I was there, you know, I had that conviction in me that but often us people we need, from my own experience, we need to know practically how to do this. Because some of it is on an emotional level, isn't it? So I want to I wanna, I wanna speak about another gift that we have. So move us on to, to these two verses that strike me um, also that, that I've received separately. And I thought that they're connected, what they've meant for me, to me, for me. All things were created by him. He created everything in heaven and on earth. He created everything that can be seen and everything that can't be seen. Okay, so God is powerful. He created everything. Us, the plants around us, our animals, our mountains. He is incredibly glorious and mighty. Okay, why are we doubting whether we are up to his standard? When he created everything, he created the mountains. He can, he's created us and we're perfect, we're wonderful. How sad he feels, I tell my children, when they come and say to me, Mom, I'm not, I don't think I'm good, I've made a mistake. I say, don't you dare speak like this about my son. My son is wonderful. So that's what a God thinks of us. Stop making him sad by saying we're not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not ready for you. I'm not the person. Because God just delights in us. He can't wait to see us. But God loves us deeply. He is full of mercy. So we're sinners. We're not, we're not up to scratch so he gave us new life because of what Christ has done. He gave us life even when we were dead in sin. God, God's grace has saved, saved us. So I want to talk about the incredible gift of faith next. So faith, the way I used to think about it, is something that we need to grow. We need to put a plant and we need to grow it and we need to, we need to work on it and have faith, have faith. But faith is also given to us by God. It's a gift. Some people have naturally more faith. Others can grow in faith by receiving the Spirit. So back to my message for responsibility that I gave from the parable. I think we need to all strive and pray for amazing supernatural faith. Okay? We need to pray for it. We need to pray, God, help me to have faith. God, help me to have more faith, to grow more in faith. So, 
And I have really, you know, it's not through our own doing. I want to challenge you for this week to go home and the next week, whenever you remember, think how many things in your life of your qualities, of your achievements, do you actually think of your own doing? How many of them are you saying, oh, it's because I am a hard-working doctor that puts 40 hours a week uh, and, you know, I give a lot to my patients. How, how much of that is going on in our lives and how much actually are we prepared to say, well, no, all of these achievements is because God has allowed us to be stewards of these, whatever they are, positions, homes, and, and so on. So really, and back to our faith, so let's not take faith for granted, but strive for more faith. And the third point that I want to raise, which really, really has been encouraging me for months and has been perplexing me for months, is the matter of the heart. Let me tell you, I've seen the heart physically. I've touched the heart. I've touched it when it's healthy. I've touched it when it's sick. And the heart is incredible. Describe it in a simple way as a pump that pumps the blood around the body. But in reality, I know that life is not just by the pump that pumps around. But it's that spiritual, deep spiritual element that brings it all together uh, through this pump. But isn't that amazing, that promise that, and I will give you a new heart. A new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So that's another thing. God is interested in a heart. During the last year, I have had a vision of, of us as clay pots. I want to share it with you. So it comes from the Bible, but imagine that this room, instead of me seeing you physically, I see you as different shapes and sizes of clay pots. Some are beautifully designed with colorful, um, you know, colorful paintings on them. Some are short and big and tall and so on. That is how God sees us physically. He's not interested in what we're wearing, how tall we are. God is really seeing the light within those clay pots. So now just imagine that you had a fairy light in these clay pots. How many of us would see the light through the pots? But that's what God sees. God sees a heart. And he is interested in making it shine even more. God can't wait to really focus less on the pots. But most of us, with our eyes, we focus on the external. But isn't, the, isn't it amazing that also the, the next verse from here is that when our heart is changed, our heart will be tender. It will be responsive to the Spirit. So that is, that is again, the practical lesson of what happens if we receive the Spirit. So as we're going through transformation in the church and growth, which I think many of us are convinced, and going to meetings, meeting with other Christians, praying about it, praying in the church, we know something is going on here. So the ones that are visiting, you're very privileged because you've come to an incredible place of miraculous work and supernatural power. Okay? You, God is seeing your hearts and he is interested in you. And some of you, like Jonah and like Moses, will be saying, not yet, no, I'm not ready, I can't do this. But God will be after you because the seed has been placed. 
what we need to really do, which, which, which I feel we, we don't need to strive to do much, but we need to pray for faith. We need to pray for change of heart because when our heart is changed, the Spirit will work more in us. We will feel the Spirit more. And then the promise is that He will give us His heart. So it's not just the heart of flesh, but the heart of Jesus. And His eyes. And you know what? When you have His eyes, the clay pots will be of no relevance anymore because you would see what's in them. So isn't that amazing that we all can have this? We don't have to work for it. We need to pray. We need to be with one another. And thank you very much. Is it on? Good. It's never good to be a second speaker, I guess. Don't know how I'm going to follow that. Um, so, two, two messages. I'm going to try and link to what Margarita's talked about. Um, just like Mark had mentioned, I'll be sharing a bit about my personal life, just a very brief uh, account of it, um, and I'll try to link into the talents as well. Um, I think I'm going to start off, um, my first slide is some, I can, I can do it from here, I think so. Okay, so this is my first slide, and it's related to my work, and I just wanted you to just come to uh, understand some of the amazing facts about our body. So just a few things. If our eye was a digital camera, it would have 5, 7, 6 megapixels. The most expensive camera in the world at the moment has only 200 megapixels. If uncoiled, your body's DNA and all your cells would stretch 10 billion miles. In a lifetime, your brain's long-term memory can hold up to one, one million billion bits of information. Messages travel along the nerves at up to 200 miles an hour. The brain contains 86 billion nerves, cells joined by 100 trillion connections. That's more than the number of stars in the Milky Way. Your heart beats over 3 billion times during an average lifespan. It'll pump around 1.5 million barrels of blood during your lifetime. Your body has about 60,000 miles of blood vessels, and in 12, 24 hours it travels a total of 12,000 miles. And each of you takes about 23,000 breaths a day. So, these are some scientific facts. And I, and I just wanted to mention that so that you could appreciate this psalm. Psalm 139 and verse 14. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Just thinking about this, um, these facts. In my, in my job, 
um, I start seeing people from the age of two weeks to about, well, I think the oldest must be about 96. And I see them alive and I see them when they're passed away as well. And I, th- I just remember that and I, I want to let you know how precious life is. It's truly precious. And more importantly, what a magnificent God we serve. You think about all these scientific facts. If you understand your body, you will see what an absolute wonder you are. God is such a great God that we can't perceive his true greatness with our small brains. Many of you, um, and including me, through life we often think, how can I approach this awesome God? Am I worthy? You know, am I good enough? How do I approach this big, great God? Matthew 18, 3. What did Jesus say? He said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Luke 12, 6, 7. And not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. Despite all of this, what we read in the Bible, many believers, many Christians feel that they're not worthy and they're not good enough. Well, I did a lot. So I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but um, um, about 30 years ago I came to know Jesus. But since my childhood days, thanks to my mom, she should be somewhere here, she's, um, um, she's always led us to, you know, read the Bible, go to church. I grew up in an Orthodox family, but my mom was, I would say, she was the believer in the family. I don't know if any of you know what the Orthodox church is like. It's the priest with the black caps, long beards, black coats, that's how it was in India. So... Church would be three-hour service. You stand there most of the time. You faint most of the time. It's, it's just a whole routine. And, um, and when I was about 15 years old, I can't remember where I went to. In India, we have all these big conventions where they have Christian gatherings. Um, my father was not a believer at that time. Um, we still went to the traditional churches. I can't remember how, but I went to one of these big meetings. It was, um, I must have been about 15 years old. And something provoked me that night. And I think that's when I was saved, actually, because I I just lifted my hand in a meeting. That's how it happened. Um, Since then, what's happened, um, I've had lots of ups and downs. And I think many of us have these ups and downs. I mean, you have the first love, you have the first few years, which are amazing, and then... You know, you can still remain as a child, you can remain as a toddler, but how many of us grow? And I recollect so many times that I've made so many efforts to be a Christian. Try, you know, go with the right meetings, meet the right people, stumble, fall, keep on trying. The failure was so bad at times, you know, I can't even um, remember them. It was quite, uh, you know, you, you feel ashamed about it. And I always longed for that breakthrough. I knew I wasn't happy. Um, I felt I was not reaching where God wanted me to be. 
Um, and what happened is about a year ago, well, in between all of this, yes, as Mar- Margarita was t- talking about it, Margarita started growing in faith, so that was, a, that was very helpful uh, for me as a Christian as well. And then my sisters used to come to this church. I think we did visit once or twice. And I think Mark came along around that time as well. And he did say some words of encouragement. I mean, I didn't share it fully with him. And what I started to do is, uh, started to do was earnestly started to seek God. And what was earnestly? Uh, for one, I started reading the Bible. Well, thank God for technology. I didn't read it. I used to listen to it when I used to drive to work. 40 minutes of listening to the Bible every day, you know, on the app. And I think there was this earnest desire to know how to fulfill God's calling on my life. And I think I was reaching a point trying to understand that I need to give up trying. Last year we had a prayer. I'm not sure if it was last year. Eight months ago. Not exactly sure. So it was a prayer in the evening over here. And somehow I, I, I got in the middle. <laughs> and I had about, I think it was about 11 or 12 members from here. They placed um, hands on me. And I don't know what happened. I just felt this big weight lift off me. I felt I could breathe. Somebody was talking about breathing in the morning. Yes. <laughs> I felt I could breathe. And it was not a miracle as such. I mean, it was not like there was tongues of fire on people's heads or anything like that. <laughs> it was just a feeling within. And I knew something had happened. And it did happen. From that day on, I understood what the grace of God meant. As Christians, one of the greatest failures we have is undermining the work of Jesus on the cross. As Christians, one of the greatest failures we have is undermining the work of Jesus on the cross. You can never satisfy God with your works. The law has failed, your works will fail, you are just weak. But his grace is sufficient for you. Romans 11.6 And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. We all think about grace as, yes, I got saved by grace. But grace is there every day of our life since then. It takes us through that journey into the promised land. And I thought about grace a lot. And I thought, how can you define grace? And this is what I wrote. Grace is not about your perception of God, but rather it is understanding how God pictures you. And how does he picture you? He sees his son in you. So when you think about that, no matter how much you fail, whatever you do, it's not good enough. But when God looks at you, he doesn't look at that person He doesn't look at that jar pot that's going to break. He sees Jesus in you. And it's all about Jesus. So, what now? It's about a year since this happened. How am I getting on? I'm not perfect. I still stumble. 
Um, you know, yes, when Mark in, um, introduced us, he t- said, I'm the timekeeper. So I've got lots of faults. You know, I'm quite obsessive with time. And we have Margarita is the totally opposite. She's so laid back. Um, so there's so many small things that put us down, you know, can affect our walk. And I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. But I rely completely on him. I'm not trying anymore because I know I can't do it. I don't want to make God's greatest gift to me seem irrelevant. The biggest gift that he gave to each one of us is Jesus Christ. When you try harder and harder, when you think you can do it, you are making God's gift irrelevant in your life. The bigger you trust in, the more you trust in Jesus, the more God appreciates you. So, Paul's mentioned this in his letters. So does grace give you the right, right to stop striving, to become more like Jesus? No, on the contrary, when you truly understand grace, it triggers love and appreciation for your Savior. So I think I texted Mark once, and he asked me how I'm getting on. And I said, Mark, I'm not trying to obey I love Jesus, and I think that love has triggered me to be more obedient. I'm trying to understand him more, and that's what's going to make me more like him. I think this is the fuel. Grace is the fuel that's going to carry us through this tough wilderness into that promised land. The focus is on Jesus, and it's not about you at all. When people, you know... Start to understand that. It will help us all to grow in Jesus. Now, I'm just going to try quickly, very uh, briefly, to connect it to Margarita's talk about the talents. And that's just one more slide, and you guys will be free. (laughs) First Peter, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So talents, gifts. How do you activate them? And I think one of the key factors is the grace, understanding the grace of God. Um, you know, Margarita, when she was sharing, she mentioned about many of us thinking about our, what we have gained, what we have achieved but if you understand the, understand the true grace of God, that's what's going to allow us to activate ourselves as Christians, activate our talents, stop us being held back in church. I think most of us, when I say this, I reflect on my life, and I'm talking about 30 years. Now, don't do the math and calculate my age. I'm not there yet. <laughs> 30 years I've been struggling. And, I, you know, I don't struggle anymore. And I think many Christians do. There's lots of Christians around the world who have been robbed of this truth. Many are unhappy in their lives. Many are unhappy in their walks. Many are not effective. And I think that's because they don't understand the true grace of God. It's all about Jesus. That's the key. Understand the grace of God which allows you to fulfill the purposes he has for you. And I wanted to just link that to Margarita's talk, that grace activates the talents. It does activate 
the precious gifts that God has given to you. I don't know where some of you are in your life today. You know, some of you might be doing well. Um, I was a baby a long time. I was a toddler. But Paul says you need to grow. How long are you going to just drink milk? And it's not by anything, as, I, as I've mentioned. It's just by understanding the grace. And I think for people who are struggling, you know, give God, to, give God the opportunity to touch your heart with his grace. Because he's called us for a purpose. He's called this church for a purpose. He doesn't want anybody to stay back. He wants all of us to be involved. Everybody is important. Our marathon where we, want, where we went was a truly amazing event. And there was a prophecy um, about a new era. Um, I was addicted to watching the news all the time. Once upon a time, I used to do it every day. But I gave up. Margarita never used to listen to the news. And I, it's always negative. I was just... On and off, I get some um, I look at the website sometimes on BBC News. And if you look at what's happening in the world at the moment, it's just all chaos. You go to, whether it go to North Korea, Hong Kong, you go to USA, you go, uh, come here, Europe, wherever you go, it's all chaos. But it's not chaos for us, it's a new season for us. Something important is happening in God's church. Um, as medical students, we are very much involved in um, um, when women give birth and the mothers who, are, who have given birth know about this. You know when the contractions start. It could be different for different people. And this is what's happening in the church today, I believe. It's just those contractions are starting. We don't know when it's going to be, but everything around us is going through chaos. But we've got a new era, and I think it's very important that we need to grab this truth of grace. Stop trying. Rest on Jesus. Focus your eye on Jesus. Thank God for that grace. Understand that grace. That's going to set you free, and that's going to bring people into the kingdom. Thank you.